right. Welcome to the Trash Talk podcast. I'm here with Tracy Bills. I'm very excited about this. Tracy has over 25 years of materials management experience, including working for a hauler, a county government, nonprofit, and she has over 15 years with materials management consulting firms. She's provided commercial sector materials flow assessments, organics processing research, and analysis, waste characterization studies, recycling, organics, and waste management technical assistance to government agencies, to schools, multifamily dwellings, and businesses. Ms. Bills is an environmental science degree from San Jose State, past president of SWANA Gold Rush chapter, and a member of the National Recycling Coalition, as well as the Northern California Recycling Association and the executive director of the California Resource Recovery Association. Wow, Tracy, you are doing a lot. And thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, everybody's trying to stay busy these days, right? Indeed. Sounds like you are. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh, love the environmental field and I think there's so much good work that we can be doing. So I'm excited to be here today. Thank you for inviting me and happy to talk about anything related to trash. Great. Well, uh, before we jump into some of the topical stuff, I have a question for you. I want to know what your first trash memory is. Well, I had an environmental science degree, um, but I actually wanted to be a teacher. So I was in the credential program and ended up switching gears and was trying to find a job in the environmental field. And I answered an ad, and this was back in the day where we were looking in the newspaper for jobs. And it, all it said was customer service rep needed for garbage company. And I thought, what the heck? I'll, you know, I'll apply. I need just a, a foot in the door um, and end up getting the job and working for a garbage company for five years. And it's funny, I had no idea how the solid waste industry just seeps into your blood and just becomes a part of your life. So definitely can't imagine doing anything else. But um, that's probably my first memory of, be, you know, being kind of pushed into the industry in a very unusual sort of a way, just randomly. <laughs> cool. Well, and uh, so now you're doing a lot of business technical assistance um, with SES engineers. So you're helping um, other businesses um, get to know their waste streams and, and do it better. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've been actually doing this for over 25 years when I worked for the garbage company initially. That was my uh, second role there outside of customer service. And so it's something that's definitely evolved over the years. You know, back in the uh, 90s, it was more of here's your recycling container. Here's what you can put into it, you know, and they kind of wish them luck. And now I feel like it's a lot more complex, adding in food scraps, looking at purchasing choices and and all of that. So I feel like the evolution's been pretty amazing and there's a lot more to working with businesses than just giving them their containers. Oh yeah, there's a lot more handholding needed these days it seems. Um, yeah, especially with yeah, COVID-19, right? Right. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to explain a little bit about what business technical assistance is because um, I think, you know, not many may understand it, but it's essentially sure. cities and garbage companies hiring us to be their boots on the ground, so to speak. Um, we visit businesses to review what solid waste services they have 
to right size containers, such as adding organics or recycling collection and looking at downsizing trash services. Um, we walk through their business to provide helpful tips on how to set up interior containers, what products they could consider to change is because as I'd mentioned, what you purchase really ends up back in the trash. So how can you change it so that it's ending up in the recycling, um, in the organics, or even better to for reuse? Um, and then looking at the material that is thrown away in the landfill recycling organics containers just to see how they can maintain a successful program. And, and for us, like looking into the containers is really important. Um, we can establish for example, whether their janitors are placing the material in the correct outside containers. We can see which areas in the building is having a problem with placing the materials into the proper bins. We can see what is being thrown away. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think all of those are really important, including are you using the right color bag because if you use black right. trash bags for recycling, the janitors will more than likely throw that into the trash container. So, um, so I think the technical assistance, you know, it's kind of taken on a whole new approach of really looking at it holistically. Um, and, and with regards to COVID, you know, before COVID, all of this work was done in person, inside or around other people. Um, you know, it's a very interactive activity because of our purpose to educate and engage staff to make changes to the program, right? And that, you know, hopefully in the long run is helping them with a successful uh, recycling program. But COVID has, has definitely and changed how we've approached that for sure. Right. Um, I don't know if you uh, want me yeah, to stand on that. I can certainly do that. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we do a lot of uh, similar stuff, but uh, yeah, fewer visits to businesses, you know, no, no one wants people coming around these days. So we kind of stick around the loading docks and just document what's coming down. Um, I also am super frustrated with the black trash bags and we try to get everybody on clear or we even color code, you know, using blue bags for mixed recycling and, and green compostable bags for compost. But yeah. Yeah. Um, that's it's great. Tough these days, you know, we're thinking about making videos or, or something now. Well, yeah, actually, and I think that's great. You know, last year was insane. You know, we're meeting business all of a sudden we have to stop. And businesses, obviously, they're they're going through a lot with pandemic. Restaurants and businesses are closing down and opening up and closing down. This last year has been insane. And um, we ended up taking a few months off to, with reaching out to businesses because we just everybody needed to kind of do a huge reset and like, you know, yeah. prioritizing and whatnot. Um, but there was a number of things that we realized we need to kind of change our strategies and how to work with businesses. Um, and I think the biggest thing is we needed to be sensitive to what businesses were going through and not push our agenda, but rather be empathetic and see how we can really help them, right? Much of this was looking at their current services, understanding if they needed to decrease their collection and hopefully save them money because I, you know, that was, that's been, I think, the hardest part this year is these poor businesses have suffered, you know, dramatically. And so if there's a way that we can help them, um, obviously, recycling and putting materials in the food scraps containers will help reduce the trash. And so hopefully in the long run, you won't save as much money. So our, our focus is really to try to help them. And then also we need to be sensitive to how people were reacting to COVID, right? And to be understanding of their comfort level and how to move forward. Um, as an example, we developed options for businesses to continue to receive our assistance, but in a more COVID social distance manner. So like 
like, as you mentioned, the videos, we started doing um, meeting virtually either by FaceTime or Zoom. We would meet people outside with masks and six foot distancing, you know, for our staff visits. And then sometimes we would go out and look at the containers, assess the material and then call the business back. So we've really been trying to tailor our approach according to the business's request, but also their comfort level on what they're they're really willing to do as far as meeting us, but we still are able to help them in the way that best fits their needs as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and, great. I mean, I, I like the permaculture saying, adopt, adapt, improve. And so this COVID experience has kind of given us an opportunity to do that, right? Where we adopt the situation, can't do anything about it, um, adapt as best we can to these new circumstances, and then you know, take the opportunity to improve our programs. And, and now we have, you know, better tools for, you know, remote work or uh, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing with moving forward with helping businesses or multifamily is um, doing it in a safe way. Uh, and you have to be adaptable and flexible right now. And like I said, the compassion and understanding needs to be there as well. Um, we at SES, we developed, uh, well, we're very big on health and safety in general. And we developed a protocol that included COVID related measures. And, and because we take it really seriously, we wanted to make sure that our staff was staying safe, but that we were also moving forward so that when we did actually visit businesses, um, that we're able to do it in a manner that everybody felt comfortable with. So we started requiring employees to actually perform temperature checks before leaving home and going into the field, obviously washing or sanitizing hand, their hands, um, following proper respiratory etiquette, like covering coughs and sneezes, um, maintaining the social distancing guidelines of six feet. And we were only meeting outside. We're not going inside the businesses, um, always wearing a face covering while working and very specifically went around others. Um, limiting touch points and handling of material. And then one of the most important things is having the authority and the okay to stop work if we felt unsafe. Um, my company is very big on the health and safety component. And they're like, if you are in a situation where you just feel like your health is compromised or you feel unsafe due to COVID or the pandemic, um, that it's okay to walk away and, and either reschedule or whatnot. So I think that that's pretty amazing. And I think it's something that we all are probably going to look at a little differently moving forward, right? Um, even when everybody finally does have vaccines uh, and feeling that we're not as much at risk, we're still going to probably look at things differently. And I think a lot of the stuff that we've established over the last year is just good, healthy practices, right? To stay, um, stay healthy. Right. Yeah, hopefully now people, if they get a regular cold or something, they'll wear a mask when they go out. Uh, if they still have to go <laughs> right. about their day-to-day. -day. That'd be nice. Um, exactly. We're more thoughtful about it, I think, now. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, in all of this, um, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed changes in the waste generation patterns thanks to COVID at these businesses. And, you know, and I, I know a lot has shifted from commercial to residential. So... Uh, what, what do you know about that? Or have you seen uh, anything interesting there in terms of the changes in, in uh, what's being wasted? 
Yeah, it's interesting. So part of our job is not just meet, meeting with businesses and looking in their waste stream, but we also do large scale waste characterizations, which is essentially sorting through trash, putting it into material categories and assessing um, how much good stuff recycling um, is still in the waste stream and then how much, you know, um, can actually be landfilled. But we do the same for the recycling stream and looking at how much contamination is in there. And that would be the bad stuff that's in the recycling that we don't want in the recycling. Um, and over don't the last the year, streams. what's that? Don't cross the streams. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I've spoken with a number of collection companies who said definitely in those first few months, their commercial tonnage decreased 40 to 50%, which is pretty significant. Wow. And construction demolition, the first couple of months was pretty much non-existent because everything was, was cut, you know, stopped and shut down. Um, and then on the residential multifamily sector, well, everybody's sheltering at home. So they're, they're seeing at least a 20% above normal, if not more in some instances, depending, right? Um, and I guess that's probably all not surprising, but it does, it has taken a toll on garbage companies, the collection of material due to businesses stopping services. And this right. also affects, right? And this also affects the balance of revenues for the companies, their balance on managing the services during COVID and their routes, the requirement on developing protocols to ensure safety of their staff and how to maintain service as usual at landfill and transfer stations where um, contact with the public is obviously a concern and making sure that everybody's staying safe. So it's definitely taken a toll um, for sure on, on how, how we're able to do business, but on the financial impact side, that's what's really insane is that now, you know, maybe a, a business had 20 cubic yards of service every week, but they closed down. So now they, they don't need that anymore. And those revenues, which are funding the garbage company and their staff, right? All of a sudden that shifts. And, and it's crazy. Even we were doing a characterization in December in the Bay Area, and we were waiting every day. They had five or six organics loads coming in from the city of Oakland and we were waiting around for a load and none of the loads came in and it was because the restaurants were closed and only doing takeout and there's just not mm -hmm. as much volume so it's definitely affecting the collection um, of, of it and it's also collection uh, affecting the financial impact as well. Um, and right. you know, so the, we these do... haulers aren't getting oh sorry to jump oh, in no, no, there go but ahead. the haulers what go ahead yeah, so the haulers are losing revenue from their commercial clients, which is, you know, a big part of it. You know, they try to keep uh, rates for residents as low as possible. But now everyone's at home and generating more trash than they have, uh, you know, booked service for. And a lot of people don't want to order more service or increase their service. So they're throwing all this extra trash into their recycling and contaminating that. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly the case. So uh, we actually had our first uh, waste, or it was a recycling characterization that we did last year in July. It was the first one since COVID. And the contamination levels that were in the recycling were around 40% of the material was contaminated or not appropriate oh. for the recycling stream. 40%. 
and and our client freaked out. He was like, what's going on? Thinking something was wrong with the data, but the characterizations that we've done since over the the last um, eight months have all been relatively the same. And what we're finding is in the residential stream, you've got people who are out of work or, you you know, just not able to afford more, right? Just in general. And so they fill up their trash containers, but they're not increasing service. And so if there's overflow, they're throwing it into the recycling. Um, And I would say multifamily is very similar in that as well, right? Because everybody's been staying at home and, um, yeah, so definitely the contamination levels are up, which is not helping our situation at all, where we're still having problems with markets for recycling and the more contamination in the recycling obviously becomes a problem with marketing that material and, and making new products. So, um, right. yeah, so COVID is definitely... a hauler more on both yeah. ends, right? So they're losing revenue on the commercial side and then... You know, their recycling revenue is now that it's they have to spend more money on labor to decontaminate this stuff and uh, the material's not worth as much. So they're getting hit uh, negatively on both ends, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's been kind of an interesting year. And of course, that impacts the rate payers um, and the right. cities have to figure out how to, for compensation and, and making sure that their new services uh, or their services in general are being managed. So yeah, it definitely um, is not just um, about the garbage companies and making their own money, but it's also about um, how to be able to make everyone whole while providing the services that are necessary to make sure that, you know, health and safety of, of our community is taken care of. So, yeah, it's been it's been kind of a insane year and, and the numbers are, I think, pretty interesting. And it, we have um, some communities who want to do waste characterizations um, this spring. And our recommendation is to hold off because yeah. businesses are still not back to normal. And and if you're going to be comparing this characterization with previous years, I mean, this year is just not, this past year just is not normal. And so you could do a characterization to see what's what, but it's just not going to be proper representation of what would normally be. So our recommendation is to kind of hold off for a few more months until businesses are kind of more back up and running to be able to get the, the, the information that you're looking for. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that's a smart move because, you know, just like events and, and businesses and waste characterizations, you know, the same thing applies. It's garbage in garbage out, right? Like if you, um, you know, aren't getting accurate data that represents, you know, uh, reality you're, you're reporting and, and, uh, you know, the data tables you come up with doing those studies are going to be kind of meaningless because they're based on just like a, a weird circumstance and that we're not going to deal with later, hopefully. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's, I remember doing an analysis down in Southern California and Northridge, and we were doing analysis over a number of years. And there was this one year where the tonnage was crazy, like just so much more. And it was because of the earthquake, right? And it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see. I think we'll see the tonnages um, up to the pandemic and then the tonnages after. It'll be interesting to see how long the shift in, in tonnages um, between residential and commercial or just, you know, the the decrease in commercial. And I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what those trends are in the next couple of years and how it really severely impacted not just the financial and economic side of it, but also the um, 
the tonnage numbers and and how it's you know affected our diversion numbers and our state goals and all of that. Right. Yeah, we were supposed to work on the 2020 statewide waste characterization last year. Uh, we did that back in 2014 as well, but you know we had to punt uh, due to the circumstances. And I was thinking about it. I was like, wow, last year we had you know all the debris from the fires and and everything going to the landfills. We had all the COVID stuff. Like it would be such an outlier study. It would be like not. I don't know how useful it would be. Um, but yeah, yeah. So what else has changed in the pandemic besides you know material going from commercial to residential? Um, I think we're seeing a lot more like single-use serviceware and, and to-goware that's a big problem. Um, you know, people are trying to recycle this like delivery foodware stuff that's not really recyclable or it's too dirty to recycle. You've seen a lot of that. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you look at the recycling numbers should technically be going up, right? Because there's so many more Amazon deliveries and people are trying to stay home or not expose themselves more than they should. And so, yeah, I think that the number, uh, the, the volume of material um, for the packaging and all of that is definitely going up. And we found it very difficult. I mean, how can you go into a business and say, hey, we want you to use reusables. We want you to have compostable straws. We want, we want. And yet they're just trying to survive, right? And because of the, the especially in the very beginning, the single use was a huge issue. Um, right. Where they would be able to serve you, but it was going to be on a, you know, paper plate or whatever um, instead of reusables. And it's kind of like we're going backwards. I think fortunately we've seen businesses shifting um, and trying to start using reusables again. Um, I think the bigger concern, and I was talking with a friend who works with the city of Palo Alto and they had one of yeah. their businesses yeah. on um, the use reusables and where they get a little stipend and, and they purchase like reusable ramekins or whatever. And, and they, and sometimes they include dishwashers and, and that sort of thing. And this business was all on board moving forward. Then the pandemic hit and now um, they're actually having to close their doors, which is so, so very sad. And so not only are we just trying to keep our doors, you know, businesses trying to keep their doors open, but then trying to figure out the environmental impact that will help them. But it also has to be economical. Right. And so it does feel like we're going taking a few steps back. However, I still feel like there's things that we can do. So. You know, many of us bring our reusable straws or, or bring our, um, our, you know, silverware with us, our reusable stuff that we put in our bags. And, and I still think that that's something that we can all do even during a pandemic, right? So when you go pick up your food to go, make sure they don't give you the disposable stuff and you can use your own stuff. So, and then even with the um, grocery stores, uh, reusable bags, they're um, finally starting to let us bring them in, which is exciting. And okay, so uh, we have to bag ourselves. Um, that's fine, right. right? So I'm pretty excited about that. So I, I feel like 
it's going to be slow, but we'll, we'll get back there. I just, I do think though, that it's making everybody a little more thoughtful, right? So who really wants to spend, you know, 10 cents or whatever the community is charging for a bag when you can bring your reusables. And right now money seems to be pretty tight for everyone. So I think that people will be looking at how to be more sustainable and using reusables in, in hopes that we'll save them some money. So I'm, I'm positive and hopeful that things will change around soon. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking we're, we're done bottoming out and we're kind of right at the bottom of, or and starting to climb into a V shaped recovery. So I, I'm hopeful that this year we're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, businesses getting out of panic mode and starting to uh, do new fun stuff and new businesses opening. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay positive, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think I do think that that's you know that's the way. It's it's interesting. One, you know, getting back to to COVID and the technical assistance. One of the projects that I worked on this last year was um, down in Southern California. Um, uh, worked with a collection company and the city to start food scraps recycling. And we started the, the prep in November of 2019. We started going out to businesses in January of 2020. And, and we were going to be, basically we went out to make sure that they were right sized and, and to confirm their service levels and get them to sign off on a new contract and all of that. And literally on March 16th was when the containers were supposed to be delivered. And the Sunday before we were supposed to be delivering containers, we had to have that conversation because that was the week that shelter in place and all businesses were supposed mm -hmm. to be closed. So they had to actually cancel the delivery. And we took a couple months off to try to reassess. And then we started um, moving forward with the businesses in August. And, um, you know, I, it was, it was supposed to be a three month rollout of the program for 2000 businesses. And, and because of COVID, we had to take a more passive approach to adding food scrap services, right? Um, and so what we ended up doing was we just worked with the community slowly implementing food scraps, starting with who was going to be able to save money by adding it and then holding off on the others until the timing was right. Um, and so you'd mentioned earlier about, you know, being nimble and, and being sensitive and all that to businesses and dealing with the, the pandemic. And I guess, you know, on a, a bright side is that while they didn't do the rollout over three months, it's been a year now and they're still working with businesses. I think the positive thing that's come out of this is they've shifted how they're reaching out to the businesses. They're providing more resources to their businesses, including mm -hmm. looking at how they can help subsidize the program. Um, right. So the businesses aren't paying as much or being able to get loans and whatnot. And then, you know, they're still moving forward with adding the food scraps collection. Um, so I, I think that that's a, a, an amazing story and that you come up with a very difficult situation. It costs a lot of money to put everything on hold and a lot of money to restart. But the city really felt it was important to look at the businesses and be able to help them in whatever that meant, including this loan program. So I do feel like there's been a lot of really amazing things that have come out of how we've approached the pandemic and how we see each other as individuals or working with businesses and being, I think, a lot more compassionate and understanding, which in turn kind of goes into how we, we do our work. I mean, we're in the environmental field. We are 
you know, the earth stewards and trying to do all this really good sustainability work, but we also are compassionate individuals. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love this industry is I feel like yeah. we, yeah. we do this because we love it and, and we are compassionate. And so I think the pandemic has shown us that we're nimble and we can adapt, but then we also are remaining positive and being able to move forward in the best way that we can in dealing with the situation we've been given. <laughs> right. And that's like taking care of each other. And yeah, you know, I've seen and whatever that. that means. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, Let's stop talking about the pandemic. I'm getting sad. So how about uh, <laughs> we, we talk about SB 1383? This is really exciting. This is a new huge law that's going to change uh, a lot of what uh, happens in California around organics management. And you have some insight on this as well. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So let me, I'll go ahead and explain a little bit about what it is and then kind of go into uh What's exciting about it, for sure. Um, so Senate Bill 1383, it's called the Short-Lived Climate Pollutants Act. It establishes methane emission reduction targets and grants CalRecycle. And CalRecycle is the state agency responsible for overseeing solid waste activities. Um, the authority to pass regulations to achieve those targets. So uh, SB 1383 requires a 50% reduction in the level of statewide organics um, disposed by 2020. So hopefully everybody's already met that. Um, and then and increases this reduction requirement to 75% by 2025. And then the really cool component to it is that it also requires a 20% reduction of edible food, which is essentially food fit for human consumption. Um, it needs to be removed from landfill disposal. Um, so most of the deadlines are starting January 1st, 2022, depending on the different um, components to the regulations. And I would say that the, the reason for the legislation uh, is because of methane emissions, right, resulting from the decomposition of organic waste in landfills. And it is a significant source of greenhouse gas emissions, which contributing to global climate change. So yep. California, the California being like the most progressive, I think, state out there, um, along with our fellow partners, Oregon and Washington, <laughs> Um, is really trying to eliminate um, the greenhouse gas emissions so that we can really fight climate change. And so, yeah, and and given that 17 to 18% of the total um, landfill disposed, you know, is considered food waste, right? That's a huge percentage and all that's going to landfill. Yeah, creating greenhouse gas emissions to get that all out of there is, I think, really important. And additionally, like the food rescue and the added benefit of assisting Californians who are unable to like secure adequate healthy food, we're able to divert it to food banks and pantries is amazing. And especially now during the pandemic, it's we're need that edible food is needed even more than ever. So yeah, I think it's an exciting, it's an exciting law. It There's not been anything this big since AB 939, which was in 1989, which right. required everyone to recycle. So this one, our organics, you know, legislation is pretty amazing. And I will say it's a huge lift for our cities, counties, garbage companies, facilities, and all the other stakeholders involved, like the edible food recovery world, um, because there are so many things that are required. It's um, it's a little intimidating, but it's an exciting time to be in this industry and to be a part of this. I'm so excited. I mean, not only that we're going to finally get 
our uh, organics out of landfills and and be able to get these into composting. But SB thirteen eighty three also um, is going to help spur uh, markets for compost, right? Like there's uh, new requirements on uh, cities and municipalities to buy compost that they generate, and you know, really just you need the carrot and stick approach, right? Where you mandate the compost is not, or the uh, organics aren't getting landfilled, but then you also uh, kind of need to build these markets, and so they're doing that with, uh, and you know, incentivizing compost production by boosting the market. Yeah, it's kind of um, definitely the chicken and egg in a sense where, you know, we we want to make a good compost. We have so much, you know, between farms and, you know, other um, uh, produce, you know, like Salinas Valley area or what have you. Um, the compost, good compost is really needed in our communities. And so to be able to have that requirement for cities to procure it, it's you, you need to make sure that upstream you're, you're managing it and capturing it and remove it from the landfill so it can be composted. So it's definitely, um, it's, it's such a huge lift for cities, but I do think, you know, there's so many communities that are already doing all of this. And so the, the state is just trying to make sure everybody's on the same page and, and moving forward. Um, the CRA is having our SB 1383 conference next week. And the focus is really to bring in communities that are already doing a lot of this work who have best practices, lessons learned so that they can share and help others who are struggling to figure out how to be able to make all of this happen. Um, and I don't know. The, the list of things is insane. Like they, you know, cities or jurisdictions need to update contracts for collection mm -hmm. and processing. They need to adopt ordinances and other languages to add in commercial and residential organics recycling, you know, create outreach materials to inform everyone to perform technical assistance to businesses, multifamily, single family residents to make sure everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. Um, establishing the edible food recovery program is something that's very new for everyone because typically the food banks have always just done that on their own. And so now to have the collaboration with the cities and the garbage companies and the businesses, it's really becoming an amazing effort, I think. Um, and I mean, that's the part I think I'm most excited about is, is this new, this new process that we're moving into. It's, I mean, edible food recovery has been there forever. And yet now it's become the limelight of, okay, we all need to work together and how can we do this? So and there's just so many requirements for the jurisdictions and it's just kind of like, checking the box of all the things that they can do as they move forward. Um, I, you know, it's a, it's a big impact. It will be an, a really big impact and it'll be exciting to see, you know, 10 years from now, um, how everybody's put their programs together and, and how it's actually made an impact on climate change. I think that's the one thing that I'm excited about. Right on. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about the job security, but, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, um, you know, being ahead of the curve. Uh, you know, this is all stuff that you and I have been working on for over a decade, trying to get people to get the organics out of the trash and, and get it composted and, you know, build out these programs on, on, um, in, in markets that weren't really demanding it. We're kind of like encouraging people to do the right thing and, and now there's, it's like the law of the land, right? It's like, you got to do it right. And uh, luckily we have developed over a long time, you know, a lot of tools to help people do it right. 
So it's um, it's exciting yeah. in that way. It's uh, you know I'm excited about cooling the planet too. Obviously, um, get a little bit of that existential dread off my shoulders would be nice. But um, <laughs> well, you're not alone yeah. with that. I think many people are feeling that way. And I think the nice thing is CalRecycle is really trying to provide more tools to be able to help um, and and being realistic. I mean, you look at the rural communities where adding many of them don't even have recycling because there's there's not enough uh, people. And, and putting the collection route together to be able to go door to door is difficult financially. And, um, and so how do you add in food scraps to a system that only currently picks up trash? And, and then, you know, they're so remote. How does all that work? And I think that's where even some of the innovations, and I, I'm, I have no doubt that some of my colleagues may, you know, they're more on the purist side where they're like, no, food needs to go to compost. But I do feel like there are some really unique stuff. I was talking with Scott Smithline, um, former director of Cal Recycle, and he's working on something super exciting um, that that could potentially help residents um, be able to manage the organics um, themselves and or reduce the amount of volume before it goes into their organics container and or if they're going to drop it off, right? So a lot of the rural communities will have drop-offs where they can take the food scraps. And so I feel like this legislation will also create a lot of opportunity for innovation and that while many programs, if you're in the Bay Area or Sacramento or Southern California, where you're in areas that have regular collection, there's so many other parts of California that doesn't have, you know, the availability for regular collection that getting creative is going to have to happen. And to me, that's exciting. Like, how can you look at a program and, and you know, follow along with the regulation and make sure that you comply but do so in a way that works with your community and and that that allows you to be able to, you know, do compost or what have you locally and, and really try to mainstream it. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. I think it's going to be um, interesting to, to see what innovations and new programs people come up with for sure. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I, I noticed this when I was in Mexico in Mexico City, there were a lot of uh community composting hubs like if you go to your local park you could just uh you know drop off your food scraps in a little zone that that like you know someone managed i don't know if it was volunteers or the park maintenance guys or whatever but there was like community composting going there that would feed the gardens and so i thought that was a pretty cool model they had a lot of uh organic separation going on there even um you know it goes i don't know it's like their last 2012 and it was uh it was really impressive for the time you know we didn't have it all that much going on here at that point but yeah you know, like you're saying that there's all these gadgets too you know you can uh i think i saw at cra there's the little uh bin for your kitchen that like cooks your food waste down and like there's a little like pre-compost treatment and then uh you know you got a little uh bucket of compost that you can empty out and put in your garden right there yeah, you know, you, you reminded me uh, with your your story about Mexico City. Um, I was in Brazil uh, in in Florianopolis, Brazil. Um, oh gosh, probably like five or six years ago, and it was there with uh, Rodrigo Saladini with Zero Waste Brazil, nice. and yeah. yeah. 
He's a he's a phenomenal man, not just in zero waste world, but just as a incredible human being who is so happy to have people come visit Brazil. He's just so proud, and and he's an amazing host, I will say. Um, but we did a tour of a, a grocery store that had twenty four other. It was a chain, so twenty four mm -hmm. other stores, and they really wanted to be the first zero waste grocery store chain in Brazil. And so Rodrigo being connected as he is, he, um, he also knew a gentleman who worked at the university in Florinopolis, as well as a gentleman who was working at a drug rehab nonprofit. And the gentleman at the drug rehab nonprofit, he was always looking for grant money to sustain his program. And he also had a lot of land. So Rodrigo, being the mastermind and amazing person he is, was like, hold on here a second. So the grocery store can pay you a tip fee to take their food and the university can teach you how to compost and then you'll have money so you don't have to continually ask for grants and you'll have the people who are there for treatment be able to work the compost facility so they'll have a job so when they're through with treatment they can leave with money and they, he called it social composting and I, I've always thought it's the most beautiful thing because it's taking the three components that you need right you need a place you need people and you need the food but then he's putting it out there so that people are actually learning a skill, making some money, getting their life back on track. And I will say the food that came from the grocery store was the cleanest I've ever seen before. They actually had a guy and it was in the back. He would take like the cottage cheese or sour cream if it was expired. He would actually take it out of the container, put the food in the food bin, and then wash up the re the recyclables and put that in the recycling. So, yeah, they truly were a zero waste um, grocery store. But the entire process, it just reminded me of what you said about Mexico City. Is if we can do really amazing things like that here locally, it not only would help with climate change, but also with the social aspect of helping people too. So I thought that was pretty neat. Oh, I love it. I got to get Rodrigo on the podcast. Um, yes. Oh my gosh. He would be amazing. <laughs> he would be. And, and that approach is so uh, in line with uh, my attitude and that uh, another permaculture saying that is uh, very common is the problem is the solution. And I, I tend to take that approach with the uh, a lot of challenges that I'm faced with. So I really appreciate that. And it reminds me actually, there, there's another uh, zero waste grocery concept that's kind of popping up uh, in the East Bay in Oakland. Uh, my, my other company, Sudbusters, that does reusable uh, dishwashing. Uh, we, we have a variety of programs now. We started with special events, but we were also doing some pilot uh, to go where uh, washing for uh, reusable to-go wares. And now we're working with the zero waste uh, grocery outlet refill up to wash their reusable bulk refill containers that they sell their products in. So, um, you know, those kind of models are great and I uh, hope they um, expand and, and we can start just eliminating the single use disposables. And that's, you know, that's the mission of Sudbusters and, you know, waste busters is, is like kind of handling all of the stuff we can in terms of getting stuff put in the right place and uh, to the right destination. But I feel like you know the solution really is going upstream and cutting off the the flow of these single use disposables. So uh, yeah, no, I you know what I've 
with the travel that I've done, I've not done extensive travel um, for um, for work necessarily, but going to Brazil a few times and meeting with people and people are just really bought into zero waste. And I know you've had other people on these podcasts like Ruth Abbey um, who um, they've just done some really amazing work internationally through the Zero Waste International Alliance. We, uh, um, I had the opportunity to go to Japan two years ago on behalf of the SWANA, the Solid Waste Association of North America, and the World Bank. And we were there to do a week educational process with the um, different cities that received funding from the World Bank. So these were 20 cities from all over the world. And um, it was really interesting listening to all of them try to create their infrastructure so that they can you know, recycle and compost and all of that. And, and there are different situations um, like being there was one gentleman from Syria and being in a war zone and what that material looks like. And I think looking at it through a different lens and not just the one that we have in California makes us more appreciative, but also a little more understanding of how difficult solid waste in the industry can be. Um, and so I learned a lot that week that I was in Japan, but the one thing that just blew me away was it's really a mindset. And this is where zero waste, you know, we talk about you need to to shift your mentality and how you look at materials, that it's a resource, that it's not a waste. And then you need to figure out like, you know, look at it and how you want to manage it. And when I was in um, in Japan, we actually went on a bunch of different field trips with different facilities and whatnot. And we actually went to a multifamily um, complex. And I have to say it was the cleanest garbage enclosure I've ever seen in my life. Like it was so clean and they had a bunch of, they had multi-stream recycling there. And so the, we were watching people come out with their clear, small little bag because they didn't have much and they put it in the right container. And um, I was, I was really, really impressed and it dawned on me, although I would say most of Japan, they do incinerate a lot because they're on yeah, an island and yeah. they have, they have a the hard time managing all that. The recycling that they do have is incredibly clean and it's, and even the, the streets in Tokyo were clean. And um, I think it's just the mentality of people are used to being respectful of their environment and of the earth and they're doing whatever they can. And it's also because Japan requires them to make it so. And if there's anything that I would hope for the United States and, and all of our residents here is to have a care and to make a difference, right? And be able to do what's proper in, in recycling and organics and because it does make a difference. But until we have that mind shift um, with everyone, you know, we've, we've got work to do, which is awesome because we both love our jobs. So it, it's yeah. good. but. Yeah. I just, I think that mind shift is really, really important. And that's where, you know, you get Rodrigo on there. The minute you listen to him speak, you're just like sold. You're like, I'm in. What do I need to do? Right. <laughs> well, I, you're hitting the nail on the head. I, I've heard really good things about Japan. Never been myself uh, yet. Hope to someday. But I've heard that, um, you know, some of their elders, uh, retired folks, will help do um, kind of what we do in, in the city is, is zero waste facilitation, but they will uh, volunteer their time to hang out by the recycling at the um, multifamily housing there and shame people for doing it wrong. <laughs> and, and so uh, 
you know, maybe it just comes all, all back down to what you said. And it, it's all about respect and respecting each other, respecting the planet and, and doing it right is a good way to, to respect um, Mother Earth and, and each other, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I always say if you can't go in the front door, you go in the back door. And so we try oh. to do everything, right? You try to do everything that you possibly can to get people engaged, to change their behaviors. And if you can't, you know, peer pressure, there's something to be said about it. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, hey, um, it's been really great talking with you, Tracy. And uh, I guess I'll be seeing you next week at the SB 1383 uh, conference. I'll be through a screen, but looking forward to that and, and a lot more good content from you. And, and uh, yeah, thanks again. Sure. Thank you. It's been really fun. Anytime you want to talk trash, just give me a call. All right. We'll do. Love it. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.